Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. All right, so the title of my charge, and this title was created by some of our pastors and I think it's brilliant, is paper tiger. And paper tiger is an expression for something that appears threatening but cannot harm you. And I want to give you a simple example of that. Have you ever been in the dark all by yourself and you could swear that at one corner there was something standing, looking at you, trying to hurt you, maybe just looking at a strategic time, looking for a strategic time to pounce on you, you know, and you were there scared and maybe the lights came on and you discovered it was your jacket you hung earlier. And just from that jacket, you had had series of imaginations. In fact, it felt as if it was talking to you or it was coming to you. You know, have you ever been praying in the dark and Someone didn't even allow me to finish. He's like, yes. Whatever you're about to say, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I, 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 I think some of you have heard the story. The first time I heard God's audible voice, it was in the dark. I mean, the way you are hearing my voice now, just imagine I'm in the dark, sitting by the window, and it was so distinct, I could tell where. The voice was coming from me. I see the person was standing and called me a name only close relatives call me. It was so distinct, I responded out. I said, I called my sister and said, what, what are you doing? Because growing up, she used to do that a lot. And I heard the name again. I was listening. Maybe someone would chuckle and say, ah, it's just me. Nothing like that. So I called um, our house help. I said, stop it. I'm not in the mood for that. When I heard it the third time, I stood up and ran away. And laughed. <laughs> Some of you are laughing. If you heard what I heard. Anyways, you know, and I ran out. I was still living with my mom at the time. So I ran out and said, God saved me. And she said, what? I said, that room is very strange. A voice was calling me, called me three times. <laughs> you know? And my, wife, my mom said, oh, praise God. You know? <laughs> I don't know that. So I'll never forget some years after, I'd begun hearing God, you know, still small voice in several different ways. And I was on my floor of my room, praying and crying out to God. I'd read one book <laughs> that made me want um, more dramatic hearing from God. So I was saying, God, I want you to call me like you call your friend or something like that. And God said, what about the time I called you three times and you were rebuking me? I was like, that was you? I didn't know. And then some part of me, the Nigerian part of my mind, was like, light day since morning, you know, call me. <laughs> it was light all day. There was light. You waited till I was sitting alone in the dark. And you stood to me and said, they calling me. <laughs> you know, but sometimes we think something was there. And it's nothing there. 
And so I want to talk about the concept of, you know, paper tiger, some things that petrify us and are not worth the attention. There are so many things like that. You know, I saw a statistic that's very interesting I want to read to you. I think I saw something like this years ago, and I want to read this also. Of all the things you worry about, 40% of them will not happen. Statistically proven. So, almost half of the things we worry about are a waste of time. They're not going to happen. 40% of them will never happen. 30% of them have already happened and you cannot change. And so, the concept of a paper tiger is such a real one. Because sometimes we bother ourselves about things that have no impact and make no mistake. There is a sense to which fear is important. And you should have some concern in life, at least some concern. Otherwise, that's another problem. And I don't want to get into that. I told you the story of how <laughs> I was ill-advised and I entered a roller coaster ride. I will never do that again. I've told you that before. Never in my life will I try that again, you know. And at some point, oh my God, I hope there's no footage because I'll fall your hand. You see, you're supposed to shout, yay! You know, I was shouting for my life and after shouting, it got to a point, there was no strength again. So I just heard, I was saying, Jesus, 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 you know. <laughs> you know, God saved me. There were two. There was the rolling one. That, then there was the free fall one. Then God, that one was already occupied. That's why I didn't enter. I, because it looked cute now. Nah, what was this? What's there? <laughs> the simpler one, I thought I won't make it. <laughs> you know, so I was like, Jesus, Jesus. Then I started imagining things. Like, if I die now, what will God say? That. I give you a vision to change the world. I even gave you some, you and I will change the world. Then, so what are you doing here? <laughs> and then, for a split second, I, I thought also about what would the devil say? That, you know, you mean we tried everything to stop you. We tried accidents, it didn't work. We tried your marriage, it didn't work. We tried finances, it didn't work. We tried sickness, it didn't work. Then you by yourself. <laughs> Went and entered roller. You know, and all these things, you know how it works, happening in split seconds, you know, I'm just, Jesus, Jesus. Then I open my eyes, and I see my kids and the other kids, they are shouting, not out of terror, they are having the time of their life. That's when I realized that not everyone who is not afraid is brave. Some just don't know what is at stake. <laughs> so children don't have a care in the world. It doesn't mean they are brave. It's just naivety. But I'm, I'm saying, you know that there is an extreme fear where every time there's, there's always something, a burden on your shoulder, a weight on your chest. It's always, it's always something. Something to be worried about. When you wake up in the morning, it's the first thing you think about. It's all you pray about. It's all you sing about. It's all you talk about. In fact, when you call people, they know there's something. There's another problem. God doesn't want you to be like that. And like I said, 
40% of those worries will never happen. They just steal your peace, steal your joy. And the reason this must be said is because you can be deeply spiritual, quote and unquote, and still be having problems with this. Like, you know doctrine, but you're still in fear. You know how to pray, but your fear is all you pray about. God is like saying, when are we going to talk? When will you actually get to know me? Constantly in fear. Constantly petrified. You know, one of the first elderly women I had the privilege to disciple, I went to her house, I prayed with her and everything. And whilst I was praying, her son had to, you know, step out and everything. And she had a hospital appointment. So she asked me, please, I don't want my driver to be the one to just take me. Can you go with me? And so I went, yeah, went to the hospital. The doctor, doctor checked her and said this. He, he called it a name. I don't know what it is. He says, there is nothing wrong with you physically. All the symptoms you feel are symptoms of stress. It has, it, it, it has morphed into physical system, uh, symptoms. It has started affecting your health physically. And as a pastor, I wanted to tell the doctor, it's true, it's true. The, the prayer points he says to me, it's true. <laughs> and I'm not saying some of these things are not legitimate. I'm just saying there is a way to manage your soul so that you can develop the stamina to handle the trials of life. Amen, somebody. Well, that's what we want to talk about. And I want to approach this in three simple ways. Number one, I want to talk about where fear comes from. I believe that the biblical way to truly understand fear and anxiety is to understand its source. There's a reason the Bible starts the way it starts. When it says in the beginning, it talks about the beginning, it talks about the fall of man. And the first time we see fear was Adam saying, I heard your voice and I was afraid and I hid myself. So you have to understand where the fear originated from. And then next we're going to talk about what God has done about it. And then finally, how you can handle it. How you can handle it. So yeah, let's talk about where fear came from. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that God planted a garden in the east of Eden and put man, Adam, the man he had made, in charge of it to tend it and to till it. And he told the man, he says, of all the trees in the garden you may freely eat. He says, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You cannot eat of it. He says, because the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, first and foremost, there are varying theological positions about what the tree of knowledge of good and evil is. You know, some people say it's not a literal tree. I do not agree. All right? I do not agree for so many reasons. And one of the simple reasons, in a nutshell, after they had sinned and God drove them out, the Bible says God um, put an angel to guard the tree. If it was an imaginary tree, if, if the tree wasn't literal, there's nothing to guard. Is that simple enough? You know, and I don't want to get deeper into that. I believe there was a literal serpent acted upon by, by, by the devil, but there was a literal serpent. I believe there was a literal tree, and we can get into that later. But it still doesn't take away the mystery of this tree. I don't know if it's just me, 
But I always wondered about it, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. First and foremost, how can knowledge produce bad? How can eating of a tree of knowledge kill someone? I was always fascinated about this. How many of you ever had that question? Please raise your hand. Uh, maybe not all of you. So most of you now, you, you never thought about it. Anyway, that's okay. So I want you to put on your thinking caps and go with me. I want to show you from the Bible what I believe about that. And I want us to move from what is known to what is unknown. So the first thing the serpent said is this. The serpent said, God knows that if you eat of that tree, your eye will be opened. Please, take your pen, write it down. So what is the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Let's move from what is known to what is unknown. When they ate the tree, or when they ate of the tree, their eyes were opened. Isn't that true? Now, the fact that the serpent said it doesn't mean it was a lie. The serpent told half-truth. The serpent hid the consequences of eating the tree from them. But God himself did corroborate later and said, you know, man is like us, knowing good and evil. So God corroborated that. So it is true that their eyes were open. But that leads me to the second question. If their eyes were open, were they blind before? Do you think Adam could not see before until he ate the tree? No. And that means by their eyes were opened, something metaphorical was intended. Please, do you understand what I just said? And what was the metaphor? Their eyes were opened. It means that there was an infusion of a carnal wisdom. There was a carnal wisdom. That is why when the serpent was done talking, the Bible says that Eve saw the tree as one desirous to make one wise. She knew from the explanation of the serpent that if she ate of that tree, she was going to be wise in some way. It was a carnal wisdom, a carnal illumination, but it was illumination nonetheless. Now, what was that illumination going to produce? It was going to make them ask gods. And this is another thing a lot of theologians miss. A lot of theologians simplify this statement by saying, oh, the serpent deceived them because God had already made them in his image. They were already like God. And so the serpent was offering them what they already had. No, there's a difference. Notice the phraseology. You will be as gods, not like God. And what's the difference? He was talking about how they will begin to behave. Behave as gods, meaning you will not see the need to follow what God says. You will be a law to yourself, a principle to yourself. Do you get that? That's a totally different thing. As gods knowing good and evil. And so what is the tree of knowledge of good and evil? I believe it is carnal mindedness, which by the way is why it produced death because to be carnally minded is what? Another principle, another wisdom, another perspective to life. So the tree of knowledge and good, of good and evil was a carnal perspective to life. Because God created Adam to be ruled by the spirit, but now he'll be ruled by the senses. I am trying to explain to you why the flesh is now so heightened and all of a sudden 
you see fear introduced to humanity. It is because man began to be ruled by his senses. The Bible says the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Romans 8, verse 6 and 7. So, please, are you following this now? And that's the origin of it all. And one of the first things that happened, pay attention to this. This is important. I'm heading somewhere. One of the first things that happened, the Bible already told us in the last verse of Genesis chapter 2, it says that, they were both naked and unashamed, right? Isn't that true? But now, they eat of this tree, and this tree gives them a different carnal perspective to life. And so they have a different perspective to this nakedness. This nakedness that, that was no occasion for shame before. The reason it wasn't an occasion for shame, by the way, is because I believe they were clothed with glory. But here is the thing. When you begin to see from a carnal perspective, you can't see glory. That is why the Bible says the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who believe not, lest they see glory in the face of Jesus. So from that carnal perspective, they didn't see glory. They only saw nakedness. And all of a sudden, the nakedness is a problem. And they're crying, I'm naked. And they're hiding because of that. They're afraid. And so God says, who told you you are naked? Have you eaten of the tree? Meaning for you to have this perspective, something foreign has been introduced. Please, are you getting this? And so from the origin of fear, the origin of anxiety, you see that it was never really about the perceived source of the anxiety. It is something inside, an internal locus of control that has changed your perspective to amplify the problem. The same Adam that was going about content all of a sudden sees the need to hide. There's so much I can say about that. And that is why the answer to anxiety is not for your needs to be met, as important as that is. Because anxiety is a habit. And so if your needs are simply met, that anxiety will morph into a new beast and manifest in a different way. That is why throughout your life, it has been one thing or the other. But the anxiety has been constant. The situations have changed, but the anxiety has been constant. When you were in secondary school, each time you saw relatives who were at home because they didn't have a good jam score and so their mates had gone into the university but they were at home one year, two years, it stirred in you a kind of fear. Oh, I hope that once I'm done from secondary school, I'm entering into college or university. And, you know, some of us prayed about it, did everything. In fact, and that's what I'm saying, you see, you see, you have to understand fear and sin are very linked. Fear and anxiety is what the devil uses as a motivation for every other sin. Some of you were so anxious, you compromised, you started cheating. That's part of the reasons people cheat. Cut corners, special centers. 
Maybe by the grace of God, some of us, others by hook or by crook, we passed that phase. Now you are in the university, but anxiety doesn't change. The perspective changes, but the anxiety is constant. Now, your first class, the lecturer just comes. You, 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 you hope to finish with the first class. But lecture one, the lecturer just says, C is for the masses, B is for the exceptional, A is for God. None of you will have A. If you, did you ever have a lecturer like that? <laughs> and your heart will start beating. What kind of... Is this... Is this a lecture or a weapon formed against me? Is this a cause or a curse? I mean, because why? You know, that, that was good, right? How they preach? Call your friends. And now the struggle has changed. God, I want a two-one. Some of you can relate. It was everything you prayed about. You tried. You were worried, anxious. (laughs) And then when you eventually graduated, some of you from graduation, your friends started getting jobs. A new anxiety. Hi. What if I don't get a good job? God, help me. I don't want to be a mechanic. You know. And you see, there is a kind of job hunt that this generation doesn't understand. I'm talking about the pre-Uber generation. You will walk with your clear bag. The, the, scriptures will come alive. You will now understand when it says the sun shall not smite you by day. You, you don't understand. <laughs> you never walk. Huh? <laughs> the sun shall not. It will come alive. You understand it. When you read it, it will take on a new meaning. When you're applying and everybody is talking to you anyhow, even Gatesman, he says, stand there! And then you, you, you have pride normally, you say, okay. you're so obedient. <laughs> you know, my God. Especially in this kind of country where everybody likes power. I'll never forget when I went to submit my form for university. And there was this woman who was so rude to me. Put it there! So when I eventually got into the school, I discovered she was the saleswoman in the bookstore. So they just put her in charge to be photocopying, keeping the form, and then she was... I was already born again then, so I couldn't do anything. You know, but I wanted to greet her and say, ah, is this your new office or... Are you a lecturer? Because that day was something from yeah. God help us. And then after that, you now realize, even if you didn't realize, your parents will remind you when are you going to get married. You when when you start in attending the wedding of your friends. You start, they would dance and say, hey, he's next. You are next. Have they told you you are next before? <laughs> you are next. Hey, you are next. 
And you're like, what kind of pressure is this? And then you get married. When you get married, on the wedding day, they're telling you in nine months' time, <laughs> two months into the wedding, they call you Hafa. So, <laughs> listen, I know we might have a lot to laugh about, but some of you know that this is serious. I called, what I'm teaching you is called soul management. You have to learn to handle your emotions. If you want to be happy in God, consistent in his will, you must learn to handle your emotions. Handle the fear. Handle the anxiety. And I want to show you the Bible way. Oh, my God. Oh, pay attention to this now. First and foremost, uh, hmm, time is fast spent, so open your Bibles, the book of Philippians. This is so good. I hope it blesses you as much as it blessed me. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, a popular text, but there is something I want you to see. Thank you, Jesus. First thing it says is, be anxious for nothing. Help me preach that to the person by your side. Say, be anxious for nothing. You tell someone else in case that person was not listening. Say, be anxious for nothing. Oh, my God. Listen, I, I could preach on this all day. It's so important. Be anxious for nothing. This is, this, is, this is God's will. He's not telling you there aren't things to be anxious about. But he's letting you know. It's not the kingdom way. Refuse to be anxious. Listen, he won't tell you this except it is possible. Meaning, you can choose not to carry everything on your chest. Then you take things with a pinch of salt. You know what Jesus said? And this is such a powerful, simple, and brilliant perspective. He says, which of you, by worry, can add a cubit to your stature? Do you know this is one of the most powerful things you can learn? In life, whatever I cannot handle, I cannot handle. There are some of you who obsess about mistakes you made in the past. Guess what? There's nothing you can do about it. Nothing. Let's move on. Move on. And the devil keeps using it to haunt you. You made the mistake even when you were in the world. You are still feeling guilty about Move on. Be anxious for nothing. Jesus said, you, it does not add any QB to your stature. It just adds stress. If anything, it might make you sick, you know, to even complicate the issue. And, and so he says, this is, this is such a powerful perspective. Okay, if I worry, what will it change? I will pray about it. I will give it my best. Then I will sleep. Tell the best of my side. Say, try to sleep. Try to sleep. Try to sleep. He says, which of you by worrying can add any cubit to your stature? Such a brilliant. It won't change anything. That loved one died. Quite all right. You're crying and it's understandable. Even Jesus wept. The resurrection and the life wept. I mean, that means that no matter how much power you have, you can still be empathetic. You can, you can be touched by the emotions of others. But you see, after one month, you're still crying. After two months, you're still crying. Three months, four months. 
You can't move on. Still depressed. Still in bed. Come on, I rebuke that devil in the name of Jesus. Come on. At some point, you have to learn to move on. Stand up. Encourage yourself in the Lord and move on. Listen, you can be prayerful and not have learned this. This one, eh? You have to learn it to talk to yourself and encourage yourself. Jesus said you can't add a cubit to your stature by worrying. Don't curse the weather. Get an umbrella. What you can't control, you can't control. It has happened. It has happened. Just press on. Build that inner stamina. Please, are you with me? This is important. And then he tells you how. Oh, God. Even if we stop here, it's so powerful. Go back to Philippians 4 quickly. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Oh, my God. Okay, so now... From the logical standpoint, the average Christian would think, oh yeah, I know what to do. Instead of worrying, I'll just pray and then God will answer me and so I won't have to worry again. That's not what he's saying. Because the next verse says, everybody look at the next verse and I want you to read verse 7 as loud as you can. One, two, go. So listen, the answer to anxiety is not that God meets your need. The answer to anxiety is peace. He says when you pray with thanksgiving, God responds with peace. He says the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Listen, it has to be the peace of God to surpass understanding. Because it seems like the circumstances haven't changed. But listen, your soul maintenance is at par. Do you understand this? So now, Normally, you would think, oh my God, the only way out of this anxiety is if you answer me. No, God is saying you are anxious in the first place because your spirit is focused on the wrong thing. God wants you to have peace that passes all understanding. The songwriter called it joy in chaos and peace that makes no sense. Where they can look at you, you are happy, but they cannot trace that happiness to anything around you. It's not, it's not your pocket. Gone are the days where even from your handshake, they will know whether your salary has come in or not. Towards the middle of the month, your handshake is always weak. Then, you know, when you're feeling pumped, you know, ah, you know. <laughs> Bad day, how are you? Now you want to break everyone's finger. There's such a thing as joy and chaos and peace that makes no sense. Hallelujah. And not, not according to the money in your pocket. Not according to your job and what your boss thinks about you. You know, there is something called joy in the Holy Ghost. It's a better way to live. Please, are you with me? Joy, peace that passes understanding. Where you entered Gethsemane, it looked like your soul was about to be crushed. Where Jesus, the Son of God, says, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. He feels under so much pressure, it's like he's going to die. 
But now, when you are coming out, it's not like as if the circumstances have changed. I'm explaining so maintenance to you. Come on, are you with me? <laughs> so, it's not as if the circumstances have changed, but something has happened on the inside that makes you better prepared to face whatever needs to be faced. And you go there and you tap, you know, Peter who has been sleeping through, is now is in time of darkness, you know. And this is the part that surprised me the most. Oh, God. So much to learn from Jesus. Are you with me? Think about the fact that Jesus on his way to the cross was still encouraging others. It bogs my mind all the time. After they had beaten him, he's on his way to the cross and he sees women crying and he says, women, weep not for me. What? And the part that gets me the most, now he's hoisted on the cross. Seven-inch nails in his wrist. He's still thinking about the welfare of Mary. Like, I used to cater for this woman when I go. Who is going to cater for her? So, he's handing her over to John. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Who has the time to think about that when there are seven-inch nails in, in your wrists? I'm talking about soul maintenance. You see, texts like Paul saying, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. It takes a new meaning when you realize he was in prison. And someone in prison is encouraging people outside. Are you getting what I'm saying? No wonder in this life, some people experience so much hardship and they are still standing. And some others, just by a little push, a little nudge, they fall like a pack of cards. There is such a thing as soul maintenance. Someone in prison is encouraging you. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. He's encouraging you outside. What if God made you strong? Hallelujah. And I will tell you three simple ways to handle this and then we, we pray and we close. Number one. Number one. Keep your focus on Jesus. Please, are you with me? Now, there's so many reasons this is important. The first thing is this. The first thing fear and anxiety does, because it's a fruit of the flesh, it makes you focus on the temporary at the expense of the permanent. And so Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 says, look at the lilies. Today they are, tomorrow they aren't. And yet your father still clothes them. Are you not worth more than they? He said, don't worry about what you shall eat or your body, what you shall wear. He says, is your body not worth more than raiment? So it means there is something about anxiety that makes me so fixated on what is small, maybe legitimate from my frame of reference, but still in the grand scheme of things, still small. And, and the bigger picture, I miss it. So, some of you, for instance, you have abandoned your ministry because there is something you're asking for that hasn't happened. You know it is true. Ever since you experienced financial hardship, you've stopped obeying God. You're no more praying for people like before. 
It's now a subtle condition. Like God must do this for us to move on. And meanwhile, God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You, so listen, you must get your priorities right. Because I want to guarantee you, listen, as boisterous as the winds are, your God is greater. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so listen, if I am feeling fearful and petrified, it might mean that my focus has changed. That the same Peter who was once walking on water because his eyes were on Jesus, began to consider the winds and the waves, hence his sinking. So it's not so much about how boisterous the winds are. It is because you began to doubt. It's because you, be, you took your focus from Jesus. And so God has to work a miracle in some of you. And that miracle, in fact, has already happened because you are saved. Where, like the prophet said, God, open his eyes. So that he can see that there are more with us than against us. Hallelujah. Come on, are you with me? Uh-huh. So when that happens, when your focus is on Jesus, you will stop telling God about your problem and start telling your problems about God. Listen, your God is bigger. Say loud, amen. amen. And you will start, you will get your priorities right. I, I, I mean, God, I may not have all I need, but I'm not where I used to be. You had work in my life. Wow. Listen, I may not wear the clothes I want to wear, but I still have a body that can wear clothes. You are single, and it's an issue for you. That means you are marriable. Or that means you have the presence of mind. To understand singleness. And I'm not in any way saying that you should gloss over the problems. I believe in a God of miracles who will come through for you. I'm just saying in pursuing the temporal, don't throw away the permanent. That's all I'm saying. I am sure there are still good things at work in your life. Hallelujah. Please count your blessings. Sometimes, like David, you need to talk to yourself and say, Bless the Lord, oh my soul. It looks like there was an internal conflict. You had to do a self-talk. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Forget not his benefits. We are forgetful sometimes. Ah, sometimes begin to write it down. So please, what's number one? Number two. The Bible tells us what number two is. Oh, you're going to pray. You're going to pray. I wish we could introduce this, this heavenly technology to science. It is so therapeutic, we can sell it like a drug. Prayer is one of the answers to depression. It's an antidepressant. The Bible says, casting your care upon him. There is such a thing that it's, it's, it's such a brilliant spiritual advantage. You can go into the play, prayer room, pressed on every side, and then you leave your burden there. It is possible. You have that privilege in God. Cast your care upon him because he cares for you. Didn't you see what we read? Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He says, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart and mind. You know, I said on the island, I want to quickly say here, 
as a pastor, joy has to be a decision. Except you're not a good pastor. Because you see, no matter how much good is happening in your life, there will at least be one member every day that is going through a tough time. Forget all those ignorant people on social media. Pastoring is a tough job. You will see many mortuaries, many hospitals. You will, do you know what it means to constantly be mourning when people are mourning, rejoicing when people are rejoicing? All the mix of emotions at the same time. I believe that all mega church pastors, yeah, sometimes they need therapy. Just talk to them. They're, they're not normal again. Because every day, you don't see. Something very, very funny happens, and this is the first time I'm saying it publicly. Every time we open a new branch and we send pastors, you know, are, you know, from experience, there are some rookie reactions. I'm waiting. After four weeks, they will call and say, Pastor, how do I handle this? This person is sick. This person needs a miracle. This person... I say, sit down. Let me advise you. <laughs> Don't die! That's good advice. I'm telling you. As I'm here now, there, there is someone in my spirit. I'm like, Lord, he must not die. He must, right now, as I'm here, I can give you examples. One of the greatest, one of, almost the greatest regrets in my ministry. I was preaching in Abuja years ago. And the Lord said, sickle cell, pray, pray. I should have asked who. So there was someone in the church who had that problem. And he was not in church. So I just asked, where is this guy? And then his brother said, oh, um, he was sick, but he has actually recovered, you know, and everything, and the person is okay. So I said, all right. So I didn't pray as much as I should have. And then in the night, after a long day, very long day, at 12 midnight, they now called me that one other person is in the hospital, sickle cell, was having a very bad crisis. And by morning, she was gone. See, eh? You don't understand. You know, sometimes, you know when people jokingly say, God, I beg his prayer. When you have prayed, you know, the one time I prayed and and the dead came back to life. I don't share it because it wasn't it wasn't the way I thought it would happen. I just say, "Come back." When it happened, I went. I sat on the floor. I said, "God, <laughs> I said, this is too much. This is too much for me." This is too much. This cannot happen. That one too. I had a long day. You know, I had even prayed the night before for a long time. So the time when I now slept, I woke up. Sir, please pick your call. Sir, please. My mom is about to die. My mom has died. So, so the guilt that, so as a man of God that loves people, if you're not careful, even sleep, you'll be guilty for sleeping. 
I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. So now, just imagine waking up. She's about to die. She has died. Ha! I said, God. And members from church were already going to go and console her. By the time they got there, the mother sneezed and came back to life. You know, when they told me that, I, I just first cried. <laughs> There are some miracles, you know, is messy. You can't say, ah, man of God. You know, <laughs> I say, God, thank you. I don't. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so it has to be a decision. And you have to dwell on the positives. So I'm not telling you what I don't know a bit about. Please, are you with me? I'm not telling you. So, like I said, someone in prison is writing to people out, outside and saying, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. There must be something he knows. And then the last very simple thing. Press on. Please, are you with me? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There is something called spiritual tenacity. You see, it doesn't matter how many books you read on fear, anxiety, the only, let me say, one of the most important sure ways to handle it is to press on. Just press on. Like the example I gave, it is until you switch on the light, you realize that it wasn't a monster, it was your jacket. It is until you switch the light on. So you must press on. There is something about fear that dissipates as you continue to take bold steps in obedience. Just, just keep on moving on. Sometimes it doesn't look like you're going to make it. Please, are you with me? Uh-huh. So, sometimes when you dig a well and they seize it, God is not going to restore that well. The biblical thing to do sometimes is to dig a second one. So, let me tell you, thank God for prayers and answers, but there is such a thing as biblical tenacity. I'm going to press on. Hallelujah. It's tough. I don't know where the answer will come. I will just keep on keeping on. I'll just keep on moving on. I refuse to give up. And so they, they seized the second well also. He dug the third one. Wow. There's something to learn from this. Hallelujah. He didn't sit down crying. Oh God, what is this? What? He just kept on digging. So it means there is another strategy in God where you will wear the devil out. He would have tried everything and the Bible says, having done all, you will still be standing. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so it is too early for you to give up. Too early. You're crying. Oh, the economy. This happened. You know, maybe even your business has shut down. Go again. And I'm telling you prophetically, go again. It has to take a lot to see your end. Do you understand what I'm saying? Stand up and go again. I know it's tough. Go again. Try again. Stop sitting on the floor feeling miserable, crying. They broke your heart in year two. You say you won't love again. You must love in Jesus' name. (laughs) Go again. (laughs) Hallelujah. Laugh but hear me. Hallelujah. 
You're trusting for something you've tried, you know, and, and everything. Maybe it's even for a healing. It's one thing for you to have a broken body. It's a totally different thing to have a broken spirit. Don't give up. I know it's easier said than done because the people who are advising you don't even know what you feel. But go on. Go on. And that is when you realize that at the end of the day, joy is not just an emotion. It is the flesh that makes joy an emotion. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And what God has done is to give you his Spirit. And so the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. It says the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Say loud amen if you believe. And so now you don't have to walk in the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit's influence is love, joy, peace. There is peace inside, not around. The problem is you've been looking for peace around. There is peace inside, inside. And as you begin to pray, oh my God. You see, there is a kind of boldness that comes from the mind where you look into the mirror and you say, I can do it. I am, you know, there is a place for that. But there is boldness where the Bible says in Acts 4, as they prayed, the place where they were shook and they were filled with boldness. I said, you entered Gethsemane, not sure what tomorrow holds. Then you came out bold. They said, um, we're looking for Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They said, I am, I am. Hallelujah. Do you believe in the God I'm talking about? Stand to your feet. I still have joy in chaos. I got peace that makes no sense. I won't be going on. Sing it loud, come on. Because say, I put my Say, faithful in And so, some of you, because you tried to invest, you got your fingers burnt, and now the Lord is trying to get you. There are things that you should take advantage of. The Lord is trying to get you to do. But you've lost your fighting power, but it's back. Come on, are you with me? I press on. Thank you, Father. We give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, say loud, amen. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.